Hello and welcome back to One for Paul, the show where I, a non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture by my friends, comedians, and nemeses. Joining me today is my nemesis. Hello there. Oh, hi. I'm the curator. Hi. Hi, curator. Uh, is, um, I know I just knocked. Is, is Matt there? Is Matt Dempsey there? I'm afraid Mr. Dempsey is indisposed at the moment. Oh, could you dispose of him real quick then? Because I need him. Well, I suppose I could see what I could find. Excellent. I'll, I'll just wait here then. In the dark. In this parlor. Do. With all of this taxidermy around me. Watch out for Bessie. She bites. Okay, I will. Which one's Bessie? Which, which, hello? Which one's Bessie? Hello there. <laughs> oh, hi, Matt. <laughs> you all right? I like your roommate. He's good people. Yeah, you've got to watch out for him. Uh, Bessie's his pet spider. Oh. She's around here somewhere. She sorts out the flies, but every so often you'll catch her sneaking up on you. I think she has ideas above her station. The The spider does. Oh, yes. Got it. Got it. So uh, who are you and what are you doing here? So I'm uh, I'm Sam Matt 73 podcaster of the Stygian Chronicles, which is a horror anthology podcast in the vein of the Twilight Zone or Tales of the Crypt Keeper, available on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, and all. Uh, we have Twitters at Stygian Curators and Patreons at the Stygian Chronicles, and we've had you on the show, haven't we? Yeah, I think I did a voice for uh, for an episode called Ants. You came out last week and is available now. Out wherever good podcasts are found. Much like this, I begin. I, I imagine. Yeah, uh, that's also what the bit was at the front there with the curator man, who is the voice of the man on your show, man. Yes, he's a worrying individual, but he does have the finest collection of horror stories in, on the planet. It's a pretty good horror series, and I'm not super into horror, so I like it. Uh, probably, if you do like horror, you'll be you'll be also liking the show. That was a weird way to say that, but that's okay. We'll roll <laughs> with it. I am so tired, Matt. <laughs> oh, what? Why are you tired? It. We London has been in lockdown for three weeks. I don't know what month it is. Oh, it's it's Jan Januutober. Januutober, February. The the twelfty the twelfty ninth. The twelfty ninth of January. JanuFebruary. <laughs> this joke is going nowhere. What film are we doing this week? Gremlins 2, the new batch. That's right. Welcome to Kremlins 2, the story of two competing Kremlins from alternate universes. But that's far too many Kremlins for this universe, and that means they need to fight for some reason. Civil War. I mean, <laughs> if you're literally fighting yourself from an alternate universe, is that a civil war or is that just uh, internal monologue of some kind? I think it's nuts. I think it's a crazy story. But no, actually, Gremlins 2, the sequel to Gremlins, surprisingly enough, uh, which I did watch on a previous one for Paul, and I really liked. Uh, and, I was going to say, uh, it's one you've actually seen, hasn't it? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird <laughs> to actually have seen a movie now for a change. This is a real change in me. I, I wonder how long I will continue to be the non-pop culturist, but, you know, maybe. You've become one of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've seen it before, uh, the the first Gremlins. So for anybody listening, uh, I don't think you need to have listened to that episode 
uh, of the podcast before listening to this one. But, you know, uh, I might make references to my opinions about it. So if you want to go in fresh with my opinions about the first Gremlins, then uh, listen to that one first and then come back and listen to this one. And while, you, while you're on transit, maybe just play all of them. Maybe just yeah. listen to all of the shows. I would recommend that. They're good shows. So going into this, I had seen it. I uh, the Spoiler alert for the podcast starting now. Uh, I'd seen it and I really enjoyed it. And I also watch a ton of Adam Savage's Tested on YouTube, if you're familiar with it. I'm not, no. Oh, Adam Savage previously of the Mythbusters. And oh, uh, right, okay. he was a, still is a special effects and prop maker. Uh, and now he has a YouTube channel called Tested which is very good. And he's had things like uh, one of the gremlins from gremlins into his shop to have a look at and a play with. So it's, oh, uh, wow. it's kind of neat. I'm going to, I'm going to shout that out though. Of course he doesn't need my shout out. Uh, otherwise I really don't know anything about gremlins too. I'd seen gremlin ones about it. So uh, do you have stuff to say at the front? Well, let me think. Personally speaking, I saw gremlins too as a child before I saw gremlins. Okay. I, so I think it actually stands on its own. And I'm, we'll get into this as we get into the film. There's a little, little couple of callbacks that I'll make as to why I think this stands on its own. Um, aside from that, it's just one of those examples of a brilliant escalation from the, from the original film, which already kind of scaled up to this sort of real problematic finale. They scale it up in New York. It's bigger. It's badder. And the way they go about it, I think, is actually genius. <laughs> Okay, so you saw this one first and then later saw Gremlins. Were you still a kid when you saw Gremlins or was that like way later? I was like an early teen, I think, by the time I saw Gremlins. It was it was a good four or five years after I saw the okay. original. Uh, sorry, after I saw the Gremlins 2. And that felt like a bit of a climb down for you. It was weird. Like initially, yes, because the, the budgets for these films are incredibly different. Gremlins, the first one, had a budget of $11 million, and they did the best they could with what they had, and I think did an actually extremely good job. The budget on Gremlins 2 was $50 million, and they had, it was, you know, it was six years later from having made that film, so the technology had come across, like, had gotten better. It just, it just had more going for it in terms of the effects, Gremlins 2. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if uh, that's on, so if there's nothing else at the front, let's. Uh, well, first, I really do in. enjoy these. Uh, you know the classic Warner Brothers intro sequences where Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck mess with each other for a while. Oh yeah, the, the version the that I saw had this at the front. Yes, the du the director Joe Dante. It's actually um, it's actually something he does. He puts cartoon stuff in everything he does. It's his it's his little auto stamp. Okay, so. Getting to work with Warner Brothers on this, with Amblin Entertainment, Steven Spielberg, like, he just went, he took the opportunity of a lifetime and went uh, for it. So, like, you've got the <laughs> Warner Brothers backing, you may as well use Bugs Bunny. Oh, may as well, and, and we'll get into it, I'll pop, him, pop out examples of every time he's used this, this potential in the film. Oh, <laughs> man, I feel like I've possible. got exactly the right person on the show then. Perfect. Uh, so fade in to the grainiest footage of 1990 New York imaginable, uh, though also some of these helicopter shots would have needed like an actual helicopter because this is pre-drone and this is legitimately very impressive. Yes, it is. And do you know what? It was not shot for this film. No, I imagine not. I imagine it's B-Real. Um, it's, it was shot for Superman 4, 
the quest for peace is why it was originally recorded. Really? It's stock, it's stock from that, and arguably the only good thing to come out of that film. I have not seen that, fascinatingly enough. Oh, if you have, have you seen many of the Superman films? I have seen Superman Returns for the show. But none of the Reeves ones. Uh, Reeves? Christopher Reeves. I don't know who that is. Christopher Reeves famously played Superman in the in the 80s films. If you haven't seen those, that's something that we should we should do another time. Okay, well, we'll add it to the list. It is also kind of weird to see the Twin Towers on the skyline, to be honest, which is, you know, this is uh, fully 1990, so of course you're going to see the Twin Towers on the skyline. It is weird to have them on the skyline and not be the central focus, is what I'm noticing from current year advantage. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an interesting little piece of history. It obviously. is good. It was just like that's part of the skyline, and also they're pr- like they were considered the ugliest buildings in New York for a long time, and people just oh, started God, going, yeah. "All right, <laughs> that's fine. It's part <laughs> of the skyline now." Indeed. Pan down to Chinatown, where there's a visibly out of place limo that arrives at the shop amid some extensive construction. Just before we get into that, there's a little thing that I want to pull up okay. on the credits as they're coming down. Oh, yeah. It's it's the only time that you'll see Christopher Lee be, be titled Under Robert Picardo, <laughs> who famously played the Doctor in Voyager. Uh, yeah, so the Doctor from Star Trek Voyager steps out of the car, followed by two henchmen, uh, one of whom is carrying a TV and a VCR. It is yeah, weird it seeing 90s. actors that I know so well from other stuff in this, because I, I am going to turn into one of those people who watches a show and goes like, I have seen that actor in other things that that actor has worked in. <laughs> Funny how we don't do that for other professions. I have seen that plumber in my house as well as in your house. <laughs> Weirdly, we went, uh, the missus and I went for a little journey and we we saw our plumber out in the wild being a person and we just went oh my god he's a human <laughs> oh my god his existence isn't context sensitive <laughs> you mean there's more to life than just my house inside uh the old man from the first film is playing chess i guess against himself or maybe he's solving one of those newspaper chess puzzles from the old newspapers uh while gizmo the mogwai sings gently in his cage Yes, I've got so like the actor that plays um that that plays the the store owner, Kay Luke. Hmm. He was Master Poe in Kung Fu with David Carradine, and he actually he actually starred in a couple of episodes of Star Trek. Um, he was in um the original series when Gods Destroy as Governor Corey, and he was actually flagged to play Noonien Sung, um, in the Next Generation instead of Brent Spiner, but he was too sick to take the part. Oh, no. That would have been really cool. I don't know the original series at all. I think I've seen one episode and went, this is dumb. Where's Picard? It's very 60s. It, yeah, that just has to I've, be understood. I, mm, well, we're not doing that. Let's. We got enough movie to get through. We're going to take so many <laughs> tangents. Oh, my God. So yeah. uh, I will, at this point, recall my note from the first Gremlins that the word in Cantonese, Mugwe, literally means devil. Uh, devil or monster, yes. Monster, it doesn't have demon, a f- yeah. fiend. Uh, when they translate the Bible into Chinese characters, they write the word devil as this. <laughs> so, like, it's that. Uh, so anytime we're watching the cute little thing, let's remember that he is secretly a demon. Oh, very much so. Uh, these men enter the shop where uh, 
They set up the TV and they play a video of a pre-recorded message from the CEO of Clamp Industries, uh, who is going to pitch him an offer to buy the shop, which Mr. Wing owns. Yes, John Glover, the actor, such a legend. Uh, I didn't recognize him for anything, but he's probably been in stuff. Oh, he was in RoboCop 2, which actually was released the same year as oh, wow. uh, Gremlins 2. Busy guy. Uh, and he, he also played uh, a mad scientist in uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> I've seen Mad Batman and Robin. Why have I seen Batman? Is that the one with the nipples? With the bat nipples? Uh, with bat nipples, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, Uma that. Thurman, he's the guy, he's the scientist that um, is mucking around with Uma Thurman before she gets turned into poison ivy. Got it, got it. Uh, so, Mr. Clamp of Clamp Industries, I guess, or Clamp Co., Clamp Incorporated, Clamp PLC, whatever the heck it is, uh, he wants to create the Clamp Chinatown Center where business gets oriented. I know. One thing that has to be accepted straight out of the gate is that there are just... It was a different time. It was and 1990. The... Uh, yeah. Fortunately, a visibly unimpressed Mr. Wing declines the offer. <laughs> he rolls his eyes big. Oh, just, just, yeah. It's just like, no. <laughs> like you can, you can come to me a thousand times. I'm still going to say no. Like, why would I sell my shop? I like my shop. Go away. Uh, he notes, uh, as they leave the, um, the doctor, I guess, whatever his name, we don't know his name yet. So he's the doctor for a while. Emergency medical hologram, Mark one. And he doesn't like the sound of that cough and reckons that the old man is likely to die soon. Oh also, yeah, uh, Robert, Robert Picardo just eats up the scenery as this character. He is just the meanest that he can possibly good. be throughout, and it is brilliant. Also, Gizmo figures out a way to watch Rambo on this TV, which ostensibly is not connected to anything but the VCR. You'd think. I mean, we didn't see them not plug in an antenna, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Uh, note, I have not seen Rambo. Uh, I assume it's an 80s movie about how awesome war is and how right America is all the time and how blue jeans and branded cola are the same thing as democracy. Yeah, totally that. And not a deconstruction of those self-same values. Got it. Um, is it yeah, not? I it... literally haven't seen it. I've seen like, look, it's Rambo. He's got the headband and he blows people up. Yay, America. Yeah, again, we're going we... to... Are we you should definitely that watch that film. We're definitely that add that to the list. To the list. Every like, it time is a I watch a movie, we add 16 things to the list. It keeps getting longer. <laughs> I will never catch up with the list. Damn it. I mean, good, because that means you'll never run out of podcasts. I guess. Oh, God, I'm doomed, <laughs> aren't I? Uh, cut to six weeks later at the Clamp Building, uh, where the world's most fully automated office building, the Clamp Premier Regency Trade Center and Retail Concourse Headquarters of Clamp Enterprises and home of CCN Clamp Cable News. That's an exact quote. <laughs> God, yeah, I, I hate say, you... everything about the corporate bullshit, and it's also brilliant. The script writing is intense, but I see you've been on the tour. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, it's what I do on Saturdays. It's where I met my wife. Uh, on the news today... Uh, turns out that this old man's death and the destruction of everything he worked to create is the cause for celebration because Clamp gets to build a building. Yep. I recall he had a grandson in the first film. Uh, I guess he didn't stand to inherit the business or the building or any of the objects in the shop even because here comes the bulldozers to destroy everything, including Gizmo, who is very sad that Mr. Wing is gone. And where's yeah, the little, did... little band for it, I guess? 
Yeah, the black armband is such a nice touch from the from the props department. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we start hearing Gizmo talk with that little cute Gizmo kind of is, um, is that voice. talking? Because he sort of said sounds in the first one. Yes, he actually does say kind of just small, small little words, and I'll bring up a few points of it. There's Guess a, who did the voice for him? Pl- there's one place that I noted a couple of things where I'm like, no, that can't possibly be what he said, but it sounds a lot like what he said. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, he manages to escape the destruction of his home, but is quickly found by a man who grabs him. Cut to Times Square, which looks just so awful. I forgot how awful it looked before they pedestrianized it, and man, it's better now. Oh, yes. It's, like, way better now. You could you could be in Times Square and not feel like it's a place for cars to go through. Yeah, it did not feel like you could be hit by a taxi at any time. Yep. Yeah, but look, uh, it's Billy and Kate from the first movie. You remember them? Oh, lead roles. Yeah, played sorta. by the uh, incomparable Zach Callaghan. He's very good, and F- and Phoebe Oates. And she's so cute. Sorry, Phoebe. Cates. I have such a crush on her. It's like Phoebe it's Cates, bad. Yeah, it is bad. She did Drop Dead Fred with Rick Mail. I haven't seen it or heard of it. Uh, it was one of the few times that Rick Mail can be seen being a lead in a in a Hollywood film. I um, don't know who that is. Rick Mayle no. um, was in the comedy series Bottom for a great many years. Uh, he was in Blackadder and Blackadder the Second as Lord Flashheart. Oh, him. Okay. Yeah, I've seen Blackadder. All right. So, look, it's uh, Billy and Kate, and it, they got jobs in New York, I guess. And also, uh, they mentioned that Mr. Futterman is coming to visit soon. You remember? You remember the Futtermans. Well, uh, this is the thing. Going back to saying how this film can stand on its own they do make a point of seamlessly integrating the facts that you need to get through so in this scene they do the comparison saying like oh well you know the gremlins did knock through his store they did you know they did nearly kill him so yeah the, if you haven't seen the first one you're not you like you now go all oh, right okay i get it i had assumed <laughs> that he was dead in the first one not gonna lie i was like wait he's alive <laughs> they ran him over I with know, a bulldozer right. it's gonna take more than that to uh to kill Mr. Fudderman. I guess it's that shitty American plow he was driving. Can't trust <laughs> American bullshit. <laughs> so, uh, hey, look at the product placement here. It's popular hamburger place right next to a place called Antique Jewelers and Arcade. <laughs> it's always, I like noticing this stuff, right? Because it used to be really like, look at our brand! There's so many details and there's so much product placement. <laughs> uh-huh. It's uh, they they earned their budget for their for their corporate overlords for sure. <laughs> uh, on their way, uh, we're informed that they intend to get married, but they can't afford to do that until they get better jobs. Because New York, girl, same. <laughs> uh, a man pushes past them into the clamp and traumatic revolving door, which promptly accelerates, flinging him out the other end, resulting in probably at least a couple lawsuits. Yeah, I, I love the fact that this they make a whole deal about it being like the most leading technological wonder, but ev- nothing quite works right. It just set, sets a nice little um, tone for the film. Mm-hmm. It's also a nice callback to the fir- like to the tone of the first one, where every one of the new inventions of the inventor dad was like, "Look at this thing that's slightly worse than what you're doing already." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's new though, so you'll buy it. Uh, also, set design uh, detail: all of the plants are spray painted metal. 
like steel colored, which yeah. is just so corporate oppression. I love it. Oh, I mean, this is the thing that the set department just had an absolute field day with this. Um, uh-huh. the, the director who was asked, because the first one was made in 1984, the second one was made in 1990. The studio wanted him to make the second one because, it, as I said earlier, it had an $11 million budget and it grossed $212 million. So they were really on it for, for getting you know a sequel out as soon as possible. Hi, director. Listen, we'd love you to do another ROI for us. I mean, Gremlins. <laughs> um, so, but they, they, he refused. He said he, he said he didn't want to do it. Um, in the end, they finally got him and he said, fine, I'll do it. But you have to give me complete creative control, which, as you know, like getting that from, that, a, from a top studio, virtually unheard of. That doesn't happen of. anymore. It yeah. used to happen. I, it used to happen a lot and it now doesn't happen a lot anymore. It just goes to show, you know, if you give someone with a vision create complete creative control, they can create these awesome things. Compare that to like Zack Snyder and the current Justice League stuff. Like, I haven't really seen any of that, which is telling because it hasn't grabbed me at all because I'm like, well, I mean, it's like a slightly worse Marvel, which yeah. sucks because there's some characters in DC. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But again, we're getting sidetracked. Oh, my God. That was such a sidetrack. I'm glad I'm splitting these up into multiple episodes now. <laughs> uh, Kate continues to be unreasonably cute and sweet as she sees Billy to the elevators. Upstairs at the office, there's a model of an office in the office. Yo, dog. Uh, we also <laughs> get to meet Billy's chain-smoking boss, Marla, who has the most New Jersey accent I have ever heard. Like, I thought it was a fake accent at first, and I was like, no, she's probably British putting that on or something. No, oh, she's no. from New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's the Marla Bloodstone, played by Haviland Morris, who was Bloodstone, seen in 16 Jesus. Candles. Could it be any more on the nose? Do you know what I mean? Like, they are going for it. <laughs> There's no subtlety in this. <laughs> uh, yeah, her hobbies include disrespecting her subordinates and making them feel uncomfortable. Just complete control freak. And she plays mm-hmm. it so well. <laughs> yup. Yeah, I, I found it a little bit stage play. Uh, like, I can sort... I'm starting to be able to tell who the stage actors are because they sort of open their mouths rather wide. Yes, for the you projection. I mean? It's just... For the training. projection from stage, but it's such a habit for them that even when they're screen acting, it's sort of like, hello! Well, at least you know what they're saying. I guess we do. Uh, <laughs> Billy... Seems to be in violation of employee manual code due to his potted plant and drawing of his hometown. Kingston Falls. Lest we forget. Uh, Billy seems to be, yeah, he's in violation. For sure. I mean, you can't have a potted plant. So says emergency medical hologram Mark 1. I mean, Forster, that's his name now, and we should probably keep using that. Using his device, which is a whole lot less efficient than just actually a name tag. Ah, oh, the thing is, Robert Picardo's saying does this so well, he makes himself immediately hateful by going like, you call this art of King, King's Forge your hometown. We pay, we pay artists 200 million. <laughs> yeah, for, Forrester for like, is not a fan of this drawing. Not a fan of See, anything. Uh, I don't, yeah, he doesn't seem like a man who enjoys. Ironically Borg-like, he likes the uniformity. He likes the mm. everything the same. Yeah, I suppose so, eh? Uh, he is not a fan. Uh, I think the exact thing is, we have spent a lot of money by recognized artists. Color-coordinated, not like your art, which is folksy and weird and lovely. 
you know, wouldn't you like it to live in a $200 million flea market? And then I thought to myself as an audience member, do you have any idea how awesome it would look if you gave a flea market $200 million? I know, right? I want to visit a $200 million flea market, sir. Thank you. Well, Camden Camden Market in London got like a really big overhaul and you can see the difference like it is a that's true yeah yeah for a while there while the while the original guys were still available to trade in the market it was really good and then mm. uh you know camden happened yeah, yeah i like camden i love camden i work in camden i used to at least before gestures broadly 2020 so let me give you a quick uh, clamp management lesson one school lesson Always belittle your subordinates. Otherwise, they might start to think that they have inherent worth as human beings. We can't be having that. <laughs> Cut to the security control room where Mr. Forster and his team is hard at work firing a guy for smoking in the warehouse. I know this actor who's the random dude in the warehouse. Why do I know him? That's Henry Gabin. He was in Blues Brothers. That's him. <laughs> That's, was he one of the cops? I strikes Or he was the Nazi. He was the Illinois Nazi. He was Nazi. the Nazi. Yeah, yeah. God damn, of course he was. I love his face so much. So expressive. I mean, he's it in really it for, is. he's in for, in it for like 10 seconds, really. But he, you get all of the expressions on his face of exactly how he feels. He's only it's going so for a good. smoke break. It's so good. Uh cut to Kate being a tour guide for the building. I guess that's her job, and she's here to tell everyone that the TV station is right here in the building, which is handy since they won't need to build any more sets. So many, so many levels to the building, and everything's here. <laughs> yeah, everything's here, including some weird stuff later. Like, why is this here? That's, I know that that's not here in real <laughs> life, but I guess this isn't real life. This is a movie. So cut to a man dressed as a vampire doing an intro to late night TV. Now, you see, if you had told me that this exact thing was on Adult Swim, I would have said, yeah, probably. Well, funny enough, I have a story about that. Oh my god, was it actually on Adult Swim? Because yes. The actor was Al Lewis, who played Grandpa Munster from The Munsters. Um, oh my god. The original. And, uh, okay. But after The Munsters, he hosted a show called Super Scary Saturday as Grandpa Munster. So what he's doing in this film, he genuinely really did. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> Uh, but you see, his show has been moved to a time slot at 3 a.m. And, you know, the only people up at 3 in the morning are, you know, they, they're they not worried about getting scared. They're worried about where their next uh, bottle of alcohol is coming from or, or looking a for job. work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, maybe they were just up at night wondering wondering about the existential problems of life and they're like what the fuck is no this is the 90s the only people who are up at 3am were alcoholics and jobless people that's right because (laughs) at that point you could just get a job i remember now so (laughs) back in the day so back upstairs there's rapid cuts i will say in this movie a lot of these shots that we've mentioned so far are like 30 seconds long to maybe a minute long it's quite a frenetic pace for a bit. There's a lot to fit in and there's a lot mm. to set up. This is one of the things that, uh, as I said earlier about scaling up, this film scales up the first one. And But in order to do that, it needs to set all these set pieces up. You need to be aware of where things are, what's there, because it's all going to be used. So you get mm. all of these. Into, I mean, we're in the first, what, 10 minutes of the film, I think? 15, maybe? Well, I can tell you that I'm on page three of my notes and there are 15 pages of notes. Yeah, like so. we're we're in the like 
We're in the first fifth, buddy. So back upstairs as they continue their conversation, turns out there's a genetic research lab upstairs. That's to say Fred, the vampire TV man, and Billy, who is walking up with them. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred, the TV vampire, isn't fond of scientific research. No, no, he is not. Yeah, you know, but, it's you creepy. know, it's all about Genetics. the slice of life. Slice of life. God damn it, I love it. Uh, yeah, the genetic research lab is called Splice of Life, and we hear Gizmo whispering, whispering, whistling as uh, delivery arrives for Saruman the White. I mean, Doctor Catheter. Indeed, yes, Doctor Catheter. And who would, who else would you get to run a real life horror show? Then the king of horror himself. So Christopher Lee comes walking through. I have never seen Christopher Lee in anything other than Lord of the Rings. So to me, he is not the master of horror. He is Saruman the White. Totally understand. I met him once, you know. Oh, really? Yes. My mum used to work in uh, in film. Funny enough, she did post-production sound. Who'd have thunk? Oh, um, she used to do work down at Anvil Studios, which is based in Denham and is the studio. What was that, that did... next uh, where they did Hammer Horror? Exactly. That's where the Anvil yeah. um, stuff was. No, so yeah, that's where I, I know how people made. name things in our industry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but one of the things that Christopher Lee used to do is he used to come, come back to Anvil and just sort of have a look around and get to know people. He was a really friendly guy. Mm-hmm. My mum worked there, so he would sort of pop in and say hello and have a little conversation no, and flip off. He would come in and say, hello. Well, what you used to do was go, hello, Sue, <laughs> as that was her name. Um, yeah, no, he was just a booming, lovely man. Um, but so eventually my mum worked on a film with him in it called A Feast at Midnight, which was a really short, lovely little independent British-made film uh, where he played the headmaster called Raptor. So as she worked on it, we got to go and see it as a premiere uh, in the Curzon, I believe. And oh, no. there we are just walking around. And all of a sudden, this you know, there's a couple of members of EastEnders over here. There's some sure. B-movie television stars over there. And then all of a sudden, this booming voice just comes out, Hello, Sue! <laughs> and he in walks Christopher Lee. Yeah, and my my <laughs> mum literally went, oh, God, no. <laughs> really? And all of a sudden, it, it comes through this figure of Christopher Lee. And I, at this point, was watching Hammer Horror when I shouldn't have been. So oh, sure. All of a sudden, I've just got Dracula in front of me, and I am just in absolute awe and he looks down and he goes and you must be matthew because of the conversation so christopher Lee not only met me but he knew my name that's so cool <laughs> yeah and he just sort of went it's very nice to meet you goodbye sue and disappeared off into the <laughs> into the crowd wow that's i think that's the part that when you've worked like you've now probably worked with a couple of famous people or borderline famous people they're just people doing jobs yeah and they exactly. can say hello you can say hello just don't bother them right yeah just don't be a, just don't like treat they're them like, like people. people they're doing a yeah. job they just happen to have a job that is super in the public eye so you know there's your psa for the day don't annoy people because you've seen them on tv that is not the relationship you have exactly exactly uh, seems that the le- people at the lab have captured Gizmo, and they've made several key discoveries about Gizmo. First, that he's allergic to light, and second, he enjoys rock and roll. Of course he does. The the, the Mogwai has taste. Yeah, as do the twins, or clones. Not sure which. I th- I'm trying to think. I think I've seen them in something else as well. They've done this before. Oh, yeah. Mm, I, just can't, I can't think of it right now. 
Yeah, we're in the lab. Uh, we get a quick glance through where they got like a helmet on a cow and the cow says, I wish to be milked. I enjoy being milked. Thank you. That uh, that creature was originally going to be half hamster, half cow. It got refused. Oh. <laughs> so uh, there's a bunch of monkeys in cages and yeah, these uh, identical clone or twin. Not sure which. Uh, Gizmo attempts to escape, but is thwarted by Christopher Lee. I mean, Dr. Catheter. What a name. They called him Dr. Cat. (sighs) Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) Catheter. Oh, God. All right. It's Dr. and Mrs. Catheter. (laughs) Oh, it's Dr. and Mr. Catheter. Thank you. I think it's Dr. and Dr. Catheter. Every one of us is a doctor. We're all doctors. It's just mandatory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to be with that name. It's the law. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Catheter seems to enjoy being cruel to his research specimens, which is super not on, but, you know, mostly because we like Gizmo. Do you know who voiced Gizmo? Uh, Howie Mandel, like the first one? That is Howie Mandel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back upstairs at Billy's desk, and he's on a really patchy video call with Kate. Now, if you ever want to make something look janky as hell, mount it on a spring. Because then when you hit it, it goes boing a little bit. And you go, oh, it's janky as hell. I love the fact that people get all like antsy about Zoom calls these days. And you're like, oh, it's so rubbish. Let's take it back to the 90s where you had at most a four-inch screen. And it wouldn't work if they were next to each other. Let's take <laughs> it back to the 90s where at least phone calls had full duplex. All right? Like, right? <laughs> I, I don't recall ever having to hang up and dial again in order to be able to not have a six-second stream delay. So, you know, listen. In a way, we've gone backwards. Just saying. Dilly then hears Gizmo's whistling from a delivery guy, and he discovers that Gizmo's in a predicament. Yeah, again, going back to the seamlessness of it, like, you have all these elements in New York City, which is a massive city, heavily populated, and you've got these characters, and you're trying to seamlessly interweave them meeting up and getting together, and obviously, Mm -hmm. yeah, Billy hasn't been back to the store in whatever, it's now been destroyed, so you've got got Gizmo in the lab, whistling his tune, Yeah, the delivery boy comes in to, to deliver stuff to Spice of Life for Christopher Lee, hears the tune then walks to another level of the building and he's humming the tune, which then means Billy can knows that Gizmo is there. Just mm-hmm. a seamless way of interweaving these these characters and elements together at a breakneck pace and yet still making it seem natural. I suppose so. Uh, naturally, Billy decides to break into the lab and rescue his pal, the Mogwai. That All right, so it seems like the twins have found a way to cause rats to output silly amounts of electricity. It's just a shame you can't hold them. Yeah, maybe put them in a flashlight, though. <laughs> uh, so they're kind of distracted by this potential new energy source and don't notice Billy, who successfully makes off with Gizmo and opens one of the monkey cages on his way out. For no reason. Like, they hadn't noticed him. They, they had no reason to turn. He just opened it to be an asshole. I get, like, yeah, <laughs> let's just mess with your specimens. We were about to cure a disease with those fucking things. <laughs> Fuck you. That would have cured polio. Again. <laughs> Cut to the bathroom, where Friendly Voice instructs their employees in the proper use of the bathroom. 
Oh, there's so many of these like nice little touches of the voice acting, and I'm sure you're going to bring up other examples of just mm-hmm. where where they have the automated voice system, and it's just inappropriate. So bad. <laughs> it's just so bad and inappropriate at all times. But again, it's one of these things where I could totally see some manager somewhere in one of these uh, you know brainstorming meetings going. So what if we just like had a message that we like we send somebody comes into the bathroom with a little sensor. And then after three and a half minutes, we say, are you really still at the bathroom? Because, okay, (laughs) but, you know, hurry it up, buddy. You better have washed your hands. And if the water doesn't turn on, then we can say, wash your hands or the door is not going to unlock. Like, that's a thing that some manager has proposed at some point before the rest of the managers went. That's fucking dumb, Jim. Shut up. (laughs) No, we're not No one likes you, Jim. (laughs) Uh, turning down the lights, uh, Billy is reunited with Gizmo. Good thing no one else needed the bathroom for several minutes <laughs> in in a busy office building. But there's so many floors. I guess. I so guess. many toilets. I'm with you, though. Like that's It's just for the convenience. It's just because that's the set they hadn't used yet. <laughs> Back at Billy's desk, and Gizmo is stored in the drawer because, naturally, nobody ever passes by the cubicle in the busy open-plan office. No, and I love the fact that, um, you know, Gizmo's an intelligent creature, and as we've seen from the first film, he is the black sheep of the family in that he's actually a really, you know, decent kind of character, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't want to cause any trouble. So why does Gizmo start sabotaging Billy immediately by opening the drawer? <laughs> uh-huh, that's right. Just then, a bunch of people start announcing that the CEO is in the building. And he's very impressed by Billy's drawing of this uh, skyscraper with the comedy-sized pagoda roofs on them. Yeah, I've got a a nice story about John Glover here. The character of Clamp originally was supposed to be like Trump. That's how it was written, like the the, the conglomerates destroy everything. And Clamp this and Clamp that, and he names everything Clamp. That's how it was originally written. John Glover was sick and tired of being given... um, villain parts at the time so instead he just switched it around and went no 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 actually it's he's just a nice guy that it's just all gotten away from him (laughs) i like that a lot actually it made the film so much better i think i agree we're gonna get more into him later because he's only just appeared and only for a minute to be like to, to effectively cause marla who was previously he she was not impressed with her employee and, uh, you know, Marla now having, uh, had the CEO praise her guy and her department because of this guy is like, well, clearly Billy is my ticket to the top. And she will do anything. Sure. Also, why does that drawer keep opening? What drawer? What? Oh, that's automatic. Automatic. <laughs> what do you mean automatic? It's just every so often, in case you need something, it'll open for you. Totally, that's huh. what it is. And not an animal. <laughs> huh. You see, here's the thing. Good CEO trusts his employees exp- uh, implicitly and sees no reason to distrust Bill here, uh, whose work he really enjoys. Yeah. Like, it just, oh, I've never heard of that. All right. It's just a sense of wonder in the character. Like, constantly, oh, I did. He literally says, like, oh, I didn't know about that. And he's just is impressed and walks away. But that's it. I mean, it's also... Why would you be skeptical of this person? Like, why would you assume they're going to lie to you on first meeting? Good mm. CEO is good. Good management is good. I'm going to believe you until I, you give me cause to not believe you. 
Yep. If only real CEOs did that. Uh, some do. Some do. Uh, seeing Billy's newfound success, Marla decides that she's suddenly really into him. <laughs> A visibly uncomfortable Billy accepts her offer to go to supper, uh, provided she stop asking about what's in the drawer. Yikes. There's, there's nothing this, in this that drawer. This starts some yikes. Oh, yeah. Uh, see, she knows this great new place. It's a Canadian restaurant, and they clean the fish right at the table. <laughs> so, new plan. Ask Gizmo to stay put. Uh, this part of the plan immediately fails, as Gizmo has a different plan, uh, I guess, and he exits the drawer into the brightly lit office. Not too brightly, apparently. Yeah, isn't that one of the Mugwai things? Yeah, they can take light. They just can't take bright light. So, you remember in this scene, they, they is it in I this scene? I think a little bit later. A while, I guess if nothing moves for a while, the lights turn off. That was exactly during the phone call. Yes. But now something's moving, so I don't know. Maybe. Exactly. Uh, it's too small. Too small. No time for details. Billy rushes down to see Kate in the women's locker room, I guess, uh, because he needs her to go upstairs and pick up Gizmo. Well, you can't just leave him in there. Like, he needs to be taken care of before he gets wet. There's a lady just in a towel behind them at some point. Like, he's legitimately in the women's locker room. I guess yeah. nobody minds. Or no one 90s sees him. 90s extreme. <laughs> I, anyway, I guess. Uh, so, see, this... <laughs> this is a family picture. <laughs> mm -hmm. Billy just doesn't understand the situation, and he's like, right, she just wants a meeting. All right, fucking go to a meeting with the boss. Small town thinking, didn't realize she was being predatory. I guess. Uh, instead, Billy decides not to communicate, and instead just asks Katie to go upstairs and bring Gizmo back to their apartment. Uh, she is amused and says no. Yeah, she's not suffering from PTSD from the first film at all. She might be a little bit. You know, She might be a little bit. Just a little bit? Uh, she... <laughs> Given that the last time those things were around, they nearly killed her several times. And destroyed agrees, the town. <laughs> and also that. Uh, she agrees when it becomes clear that it means a lot to her fiancé, I guess. Uh, she, it doesn't take that much convincing. I guess she's like, ah, Billy, all right, fine, I'll do it for you. <laughs> she's like, no, change your mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's very I, I watched it a second time and I'm like, that was actually very quick turnaround. Uh, no, no, we're not doing that. Okay, Katie, I hear what you're saying, but I'm a man and I'm saying yes. So could you also say yes? Okay, Billy, yes. Much against my prior judgment, judgment and <laughs> and PTSD from the last time. Fine. I know, right? It's very strange. I don't know. Man. I also get, though, that act one is taking a long time. So at a certain point, it's just like, could yeah. we just have her reluctantly yep. first and be like, okay, fine. We just need to get this train moving, please, people. Keep going, fellas. <laughs> just keep it going. It's already a while in. Uh, also, good time to remind ourselves what the rules are. I mean, this is, again, what I was saying about reiterate, like making sure that yeah. you didn't have to watch the first one. They yep. reiterate the rules. Nice and, nice and quick and simple. No light. Sunlight kills them. Uh, don't get them wet. That, that makes them have babies. And uh, don't feed them after midnight. That turns them into, like, ultra-demons. Supreme arch-demons. Mm-hmm. She runs after them. Uh, she runs after Billy, 
saying, like, oh, just one more thing uh, in need of clarification, I guess. And she sees him walking away with Marla, who grabs him by the arm uh, in a sort of affectionate way. She, That's she not does suspicious not, at all. It's not, it's not predatory at all. Uh, cut to upstairs as the janitor discovers that the water fountain is faulty and he attempts to fix it. But he fails to fix it and ends up spraying water everywhere instead, including onto Gizmo. Now, here's something that I'd like to bring up. Okay. Talking earlier about Gizmo's voice and him saying words. If you listen to him as the janitor is coming around the corner, he says, Gomez. Does he? That is the the reason why is because the actor who plays the janitor is, that is John Astin, who played the original Gomez. Gomez in the Adams, Adams family. from the Adams family. Yes. I don't think I've seen the original. I think I saw the cartoon as a kid. Yeah, the the original List. 1960s like black and white List television series. It's List. a television series, so I don't know if you can do that, but I would certainly recommend it's my it. my show. It was... I can do whatever I want. Yes. <laughs> List. Got it. Then yes, add it to the list. Uh, yeah, so looks like Gizmo is about to birth a much more Mogwai. Uh, I'm trying to pronounce that right. It's, it's a thing in a language that I don't speak, so that's okay. Uh, all of these ones definitely don't like him very much. His kids keep hating him. I feel real sorry for him. Gremlins are evil straight out the gate. Gomez are is the they, exception. or is it just the gremlins that come out of this guy? Well, you you got to wonder, right? <laughs> poor old Gizmo. Because Gizmo's all right. A, he's had yeah, but he's had such a rough time. Uh huh. And these one, I do like the one with the crazy eyes as well. It's Gizmo That's and Daffy. the crazy eyes one. Daffy. All okay, of, they, I don't think they mentioned the name ever. They don't ever, but they do have names. The one with and the they, mohawk is called Mohawk. And I'm sure those names are all over the toys. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Have I ever but talked yeah, the, to you about merchandising? <laughs> I gather it's a way that you can make money. And money can buy items. <laughs> and such the cycle repeats. <laughs> yep, so they take Gizmo's armband from him and then force him into the air duct. Uh, as Katie gets upstairs, the three evil Mogwai go downstairs. Uh, she discovers the googly-eyed one. Uh, I don't... What was his name again? Daffy. Daffy. As, as in Daffy Duck. Uh, yeah, okay. The well-known guy who can't control which, eye, which direction his eyes go in. Daffy Duck. Got it. <laughs> That's the main thing that I remember about that duck. <laughs> what, that his eyes don't move in the same direction? I oh, guess. They? No way. <laughs> Uh, so she doesn't quite remember which one it is, so she grabs Daffy and uh, takes him home. Back downstairs. What a lovely reference to King Kong. They, uh, they Daffy, Daffy's on top of a giant um, sky, oh, on top right. of a model of Clamp Towers with some oh, biplanes yeah. flying around it. As a King Kong that. reference. <laughs> I didn't get that at first. That's why I have you. Uh, <laughs> back downstairs, the Mugwai are in the food court looking for a meal. I sure hope it isn't after midnight. I think it might be getting close. Out of interest, in this scene, because it's supposed to be a like a frozen yogurt or an ice cream store, right? Uh-huh. Um, there's well, an appearance that, from a very young Sean Astin. That doesn't actually happen just yet. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. First, we need to go to the restaurant. Uh-huh. Yes, as a Canadian, what do you think of the Canadian restaurant? Uh, I think it's weird that their waiters are dressed as police officers. I know, right? <laughs> like, it's, like just, it's just are... a class... Mounties are a real thing. They're the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they're a real police force, and that the red outfit with the hat is 
their dress uniform and it used to just be like they get the red uh like it was a callback to the british uh wool uniforms and they were real fucking real warm and in canadian winter that's what you needed these and they're still a police force my cousin is an rcmp officer really no yeah really he's got the uniform i got pictures of him in the uniform it's really awesome so i mean like a waiter in that uniform seems strange to me yeah i mean it's just it's just like how can we say it in a way it's totally disrespectful. It's like, it's stereotyping. How can we show that this place is Canadian straight out the gate? It's just like, what? well, we'll have them dressed as a Mountie. We'll have, we'll have a, a really awkwardly placed, like, stuffed animal in between them. We'll put them in um, furs, furred-lined chairs. Well, it's, and it's we'll really serve chocolate just mousse. the rest of it. The rest <laughs> of it, I'm okay. Like, the rest of it is kind of funny and like, all right, yeah, fair enough. That's a good takedown. But it's just like, it would be like if you had a British style restaurant somewhere that served, I don't know, fish and chips or something like that somewhere other than Great Britain. And all of the waiters are dressed in like military dress costumes. uniform, well, mil- military dress uniform, like red coat with the thing or whatever. Like that would be the extent of it. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a I, I, I felt a little like, OK, that's weird. I don't think I felt disrespected in any way. I was just like, yeah, Americans think being Canadian. That's what they think Canadians look like. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I will. So anyway, uh, so both of them seem to have like a lot of drinks each, right? They have some sort of log mug, which I will say looks dope as hell. (laughs) And uh, also a pink brand cola and popular brand Canadian beer brand. So like each of them has like three drinks each. And I'm like, who, who does that? at? Re- I'll tell you exactly who does that at restaurants is people who review restaurants. That's how you spot them. Yes. Cause they have to clean their palate and they want to check the, the wines and they don't really yeah, have much But also of it, they'll yeah. always, evidently I learned this from somebody who worked in restaurants. You're like, if, if anybody comes in and buys a non-alcoholic drink, an alcoholic drink, a starter, a plate of food and a dessert all at once, that is a restaurant reviewer. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> So, uh, both of them, uh, have all these drinks and you're right. There's just this taxidermied Ibex, I guess, mounted on uh, the wall for so- that's not even really a Canadian animal. No, it's just there. We've got <laughs> mountain goats in Canada, but they don't look like that. Uh, Marla interrupts to make, she interrupts every topic of conversation to talk about her stuff and, you know, narcissist much, I think so. <laughs> Like, I do that by accident sometimes, but, like, not because I'm a narcissist, because I have ADHD, and I'm looking at it like, well, uh, I have a thought, and I'd like to share it now, and if I don't right now, then I will forget. Yeah, that's fair enough. Marla, on the other hand, Marla, I don't think she's predatory. I, <laughs> yeah, I think she's just awful. Uh, she feels like he's her ticket to a corner office, and she says so. Like, I think we're going to make a lot of money. And I've ne- I'm, I feel so vulnerable about you. I've never talked about these feelings before. <laughs> Greed is a feeling, right? <laughs> I, last I checked. Yeah, then she touches her, in, her employee inappropriately under the table, which makes me really not feel like laughing at the admittedly excellent sight gag of the chocolate mousse. <laughs> like it would have been a good gag but i was so uncomfortable with this i was just like oh no that's gross <laughs> i know yeah 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 the rest of the scene is funny right but it's like don't do that like he's visibly uncomfortable and you're just not understanding this 
uh, you know, not understanding the message at all. Marla forces a kiss on him as he leaves. He's visibly upset, horrified that his boss has just tried to molest him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, tro- they have a statue of a moose that like, it's a chocolate moose. May I get you an antler, sir? And I love this actor. And yeah, that's, a, I could buy that as a Canadian accent. That's fine. People in Canada sound like that sometimes. And it was, it would have been really funny had it not been for the, for the super like, oh no. For the Yikes. creepiness. Yeah. It's, oh, oh, makes me feel gross. Uh, back at their apartment, Katie is trying to feed the not gizmo demon mogwai. Uh, who instead smashes her blender on the floor, then laughs hysterically about it. Also, yeah, he throws rude. food at her. Yeah, it's just we, we've hit the slapstick portion because, of course, they're light and fluffy at the moment. So all uh, of the hijinks have to be pratfalls and pranks and something cartoonish. This then lends weight to when they turn into the more evil things later down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut to Billy arriving home. With Marlo's lipstick still on his face, to Katie's distress, uh, Billy discovers that this is not Gizmo, and they decide to go back to the office and take the googly-eyed one with them, because otherwise he could do who knows what. Actually, pretty good decision. Don't leave him in the apartment. He's just going to wreck stuff. Well, this is it. The first film relied on the fact that we didn't know anything about them or what Mm. they did. So the threat is unknown. Yeah. But obviously in this film... These people, we do, they, these people do know what's going on. They do know what will happen, and they know how to stop it. So mm-hmm. they act intelligently. Something missing from cinema. I do <laughs> a little like bit too much characters that act intelligently. Uh, the sound, uh, the sound this little thing makes is also kind of the best. The the way that this the the Mogwai is voiced, Daffy. Yes, <laughs> it is manic, and I love it. They go full cartoon on it again. This is this is what I was saying about. Uh, about about the it director is, so is that he's just totally anything he can to shove cartoony stuff in he does it's but wonderful. he does it really well he does i think he understands cartoons very well i think that's what it is because also just as a sound guy this sounds like a super fun day in the office it really oh really God. does sound like okay fred now we're gonna do like the do the voices okay and just hours of going there's 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 over 30 people in the sound department credited and uncredited for this film. Wonderful. That is the right number. Yes, like the it, more it, the and merrier. you can and you can tell like mm-hmm. you the, the the sound design is so beautifully put together. That is you know what? You had exactly my note word for fucking word. So I am now <laughs> put off and I need to read my next note. Who's that at the door? Why, it's the Futtermans. You remember the Futtermans from before? Yes. You remember that xenophobic (laughs) asshole from the first movie who thought anything non-American was terrible and then turns out that he nearly got run over by his American-style plow? Which, fortunately, doesn't kill him because built American. I guess so. Uh, Well, he's back, and this time he dislikes the fact that there's Russian cab drivers driving around in cabs in New York because they're Russian, and, you know, there could be nuclear secrets. And why? It's it's funny, because he's still racist. (sighs) I I don't know about racist, certainly xenophobic. I haven't heard him say anything about non-white people, but I have heard him say things about foreign this and foreign that, which sort of does imply racist undertones but i think mm. it's mildly different not yeah, defending actors... it just saying Ugh. no it's 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 
very much a thing of its time where that was sort of considered to be an okay thing to say. And it's like, well, it isn't was really. Because but... he also is being made fun of gently in this. Like, okay. Yeah, like, he's definitely like a comic relief. You know character. what this is? It's an okay boomer. <laughs> it's it's an yeah. okay boomer. All right. Exactly. Yes, fine. I don't feel like arguing right now. You know. Yeah. The actor for that is Dick Miller, who was he's funny so enough. He was good. he was in the Terminator. Was he? <laughs> yeah, he was. He was like a stall owner. Oh. Um he was also in The Burbs and the Howling, which are made by the same director as Gremlins 2. So like he's he managed to get a career out of this guy. So he's back uh with his wife, and they're at the apartment now, and he seems a little nervous when he hears the Mogwai making noises. And uh, I do quite like Billy and Katie trying to complete each other's lies here for reasons why they can't stay at the apartment tonight. It's a beautiful example of of dialogue being well performed. Like the mix up is beautifully done. Uh, yeah, uh, see, the building is being uh, reno- fumigated. You know, renovated. Rats, just uh, rats. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> nice. Ooh. It, but I like. When it's done correctly, a little bit of characters interrupting each other works so beautifully because that is how people talk. Most of the time, you don't wait for someone's line to be finished before concocting and then delivering your own line. Exactly. And it's effective because obviously they're flustered and that comes across. And it's such a short moment that conveys so much straight out the gate. But it also conveys the strength of their relationship, as I say. It's like, oh, they they mm. know, they know exactly how to work with each other yeah i mean he's literally come home with lipstick on his face uh-huh and she's still like and that's yeah bitch. it's not billy does not know better <laughs> like i know that my husband does not know better fiance exactly. i guess whatever uh yep so cut to the crush the crush building did i mean the clamp building i think i you meant did. the clamp building but my notes said the crush building so we're gonna go with that which, because uh, which it's seemed... at night now, is not office buildings, it's a party zone. I guess it is. They have some <laughs> sort of dance party, but only in that one corner. And, uh, <laughs> and they've got the ice cream bar in the other and corner. the ice cream bar, yeah, we've, we've gotten to the ice cream bar. Yes, Sean Astin, one of his first is appearances. Is that Sean Astin? It's Sean That's Astin, Sean shit, Astin. you're right. He's got a ponytail. <laughs> hey, uh, quick question. Uh, are the peanut butter cups all natural? Well... I don't know, are they? I don't think they can be. I don't think peanuts and peanuts chocolate don't ever come in coexisted natural... in the wild. <laughs> I mean, I haven't checked the peanut butter cup tree in a while, though, so maybe it is growing fruit. You know what this means? To Google! <laughs> Google says no. Google says no. <laughs> Seemingly unconcerned with how much death there might be in the soft serve, the Mugwai eat so much of it straight out of the tap that one of their stomachs 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 just expands the guys who did the effects on this the I, I, we've said this i it's think on the last time that i was with a you guaranteed it's just a balloon that they're blowing up underneath it and i don't oh, absolutely hate it. it's, well, it's no. wonderful it's organic it's natural and it's cartoony and it makes sense like i've said this before when we when we did uh, evil dead but the use of practical effects can be used to such great effect mm-hmm like there is some CG in this. It's no, it's rotoscoping to get the to get the models to move from a distance. But just the the fact that it's a physical thing, and you can rely on the actors to then move with this physical thing. Like there's something about that that is just just feels more real than CGI does. 
It can do, yeah. I think we're getting better at CG and where to use it appropriately and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, for the most part, I agree with you. But mm. oh, oh, it looks like there's rats in the ice cream toppings. Wait, that's not rats. That's Mogwai. Meanwhile, as Billy and Kate arrive, there's someone stuck in the revolving door because this time it's the opposite problem and we need to keep doing this insistent sight gag. And I don't hate it. Just another little detail that you can spot in the background. Back when, instead of making it giant, open and empty, people put details inside their films. It's I like just... details when they're inside mm. of films. That's the appropriate container for details. Exactly. They question the all-natural lady who claims that she saw a furry thing and also that ice cream with peanut butter cups and chocolate is supposed to be health food. God, some things yeah. never change. <laughs> so naturally, their plan is to cut off all the water to the building. By Makes shutting perfect off sense. The main... Can't have them breathing. I guess so. Uh, they're caught by the security cameras and a security person runs down there with his figure directly on the trigger and brandishes it at Billy wow this guy's not messing around (laughs) this is highly irresponsible yes and holding it with one hand (laughs) at waist yeah like you're not aiming that thing (laughs) oh boy people who handle weapons like this frighten me they really really do that's for good reason (laughs) but uh yeah he uh, he demands to see what's in billy's bag and uh the mogwai jumps up and bites his nose at which point he starts discharging his weapon wildly into the air yeah every time (laughs) there's firearm bullshit in movies i call it out because like this this is not funny to me this is completely fucking shocking it's shocking td it's shocking lack of barrel control it's shock of awareness of your weapon it's shocking everything it, this man it's should literally never the most have irris- been allowed anywhere near a gun and i dislike the portrayal of no it's just a security guy no don't do this like yeah it I, undermines there, the the threatening there was power a, of guns there was like, a rule in kill. my house where unless it was a bright orange nerf gun we were not allowed to point toy guns at each other and if we did we got in trouble mm. Because it does, if you get used to it with a fake gun, fuck. So, like, even, it doesn't matter. It, like, I, I, this made me so uncomfortable. I hope that's what they were going for because it worked. And I was like, oh, this fucking guy, right? Yeah, well, he's an idiot. Like, this, he's, he's a guy who's, who's doing his job, but he's also mean-spirited. Like, he's not a professional. I think Which that's is why of... he then gets, which is why he then gets the bite on the nose because he needs to be punished for his i guess so i feel like that's a good summation of all of the bad business people in this that you've just made it's the Mm. yeah he's just doing his job but he doesn't have to be an asshole about it and he is an asshole about it yeah but this again 1990s new york uh, in on on screen everyone was an asshole like that was how it was that's how new york was perceived at the time everyone's rude rushing around bumping into people being a dick i guess so i don't know if new york's like that then it wasn't when still, i was there <laughs> because I've, i mean i've been there and everyone was nice to me and i know yeah. people from new york and they're nice to me so yeah I, I don't know maybe i have i have a sample size of like two though so what yeah do I, know? I mean like i say when, when i was over there it seemed like i didn't have that problem at all like but a problem really we nice. do have in this building are gremlin sacks Yes, and then this is the what I'm talking about going from the light and fluffy into the sinister and and darker. Like you know immediately that things are about to go really bad 
just because we have gone from cute and fluffy yeah. to reptilian to, yeah. and dripping and oozing. Oh, once there's a sack involved, you can't, you can't <laughs> go back from that. Uh, cut to a no, police exactly. van where there's some mimes uh, for some reason. I never got this joke. I guess mimes are funny in the 90s. <sighs> I mean, I know they kept showing up in Animaniacs, and maybe that's what it is. It's a reference to, to cartoons. I mean, why like, not? Mimes are funny to animate, and there's jokes that you can make about the mime actually creating a wall, and that's hilarious. Yeah. I get that. I'm sure, I'm, I hope there's someone in the... Um, who's listening to this and is going like, no, it's clearly this thing. So yeah, if you know, tell us. <laughs> Tweet at me, honestly, at me, at one for Paul, and tell me what, why this is funny. I was just perplexed. Uh, yeah, the, and it's been a mystery to me for years. So the delay from Billy's arrest was just long enough that the gremlin cocoons are hatching. See, I dun, like dun, this dun. detail a lot because they were like, well, he's going to get bailed out. That's fine. Like, they don't just arrest you and put you in prison right away. They put you in, like, a holding cell, and then you pay your bail and whatever. I Like, they'll hear you later. Yeah. Now, this delays them just long enough where they can't continue their thorough search and deal with the sacks before they do it. So I like this detail. I Even nerd me is like, well, why couldn't they? Oh, that's why. Okay. Yes, there's a reason for everything. It's not just arbitrary. They mess They mess about. Like, there's stuff that gets in their way. There's stuff that mm. delays them. It's an art of cinema that uh, that is sort of missing. A art bit, of writing, yeah. I would say, more widely, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, meanwhile, yeah, yeah. in the vents, Gizmo is wandering about, not quite looking where he's going. And this def- this goes very well for him. <laughs> he Vertical fall- drop. Yep, to some, like, Star Wars-style music with uh, with the horns. And uh, this pipe lines lands. This pipe lands him directly where the cocoons are hatching. Uh oh, trouble! Uh, here he says the uh, he said a thing. He said words here, and all I could hear on first, second, third, and fifth listen through was <laughs> "motherfucker." Um, I Just, do wonder if it's there. Um. I, yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but it I, does sound remarkably like it. If it were in there as a fact, then it would never have made it in there. They probably we, said, no, he's just making mogwai noises, whatever, he's a little monster. You know this film is a PG-13, right? Uh, yes, a rating that was created, as I discovered, for Gremlins 1. It didn't exist yes. before, and they were like, this needs a bigger rating than PG. We need something the, yeah. between PG and R. <laughs> something, <laughs> please. Uh, back in the lobby. Things are going a bit haywire, and uh, Billy and Katie grab some flashlights. Oh, uh, also worth saying, Gizmo got uh, grabbed by one of the one of the Grems with the classic cartoon hand hovering over the top of him, doink on his head, grab him and yank away. And this is something I wanted to bring up about the uh, sound design, actually, because oh, it's such a yoink. The, the next thing, you, well, you hear the yoink, but you also then hear the violence and the camera shakes. Oh yeah, it's implied violence. Like they use, oh yeah, they use just the just the sounds and the shaking of the camera to imply what's going on. That is, and it's so beautifully effective. That is, they could have put a puff of smoke coming out of that, and it would have worked exactly the same way. And I love it. Mm. It, it is very cartoon because, of course, in cartoons, that was a good gag for a couple of reasons. First, because it's real funny, and also, second, because they don't have to animate that part. <laughs> so yes, you great. don't have to show the violence; you still get the effect. Uh huh. 
I like these things that are born out of laziness or budget mindedness going like, well, we can't afford to actually make this cool fight scene. So instead, let's just make a sound that sounds like it. We'll put some stuff together and let your imaginations do the work. But more importantly, Marla gets between Billy and Katie, literally this time, and uh, no time to resolve that conflict, because Billy needs to convince the emergency medical hologram, I mean chief of security, that they need to act before the devils take over the building. Yeah, wasn't that Tuvok's job? (laughs) I'm reasonably certain Tuvok was on top of it. Let's go check on him. I'm sure this plan will go really well. You know, after you got arrested yesterday, this is one of the beautiful. Here. I mean, he says that he says like, "You come back. What did you miss us?" Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think I remembered him in Voyager going like, "Oh yeah, he's kept that style." Mm. It's it's yes, he's it's still just Robert just Picardo all over. Years of practice, apparently acting in New York. I guess I guess <laughs> you learn smarm in New York. Well, come to New York, home of Smarm. But this is another little beautiful point that I actually really like, is the next thing that happens, I think, if I'd be correct in saying, is that the people at the control panel, because obviously, you know, our lead is shouting all this mad, insane stuff. I think I see where you're going. May I hold the thought? Because the next thing that actually happens is Katie takes a group on a tour. Repeating the same shtick from the beginning. You've got to love those hats. They're such they're such hats. Uh, also, because I guess there's a Japanese guy who enjoys taking pictures, and that's a stereotype. Yeah. And like, look at these funny Japanese people who have all of these cameras because they come on a once in a lifetime holiday and they want to take pictures with their cameras, and we find that funny for reasons. Yeah, it's a, it was a way used to, as you know, to to create a quick snapshot without going to the trouble of actually doing any character development it's lazy and it's unacceptable these days i would go further and i would say it was unacceptable those days too but actually, yes we're yes, agreed. no i agree with you yeah we're agreed in principle anyway it's time for microwaving with marge the show where marge gets blind drunk and cooks super gross looking food like bologna and bean dip rolls this is I love the- such a good send up of bad know, right? cooking shows. <laughs> they totally go into it and, and uh, you know, they go from her taking this, you know, bologna and, I forget what it was, bologna and something, but bologna she's, and she pronounced bologna and bean dip. She mis- mispronounced bologna <laughs> and sort of like half, half heartedly like does the rap and then immediately looks to the left of this pre prepared, here's one I made earlier plate. <laughs> and it's yeah. just such a lovely sight gag. <laughs> so the way you spell bologna is bologna. Because yeah. the original stuff that Americans got was called Bologna sausage. And then they invented this other stuff that is absolutely not Bologna sausage from Bologna in Italy. And they couldn't pronounce Bologna, so they said, Ah, bologna, I guess. That's what we're going to call it, bologna. Close enough. There's like six letters I'm not going to pronounce because those are foreign <laughs> letters. And I don't like foreign things. I find them confusing. I'm using the voice because I actually love foreign things everywhere. I prefer foreign things. Personally. There is nothing wrong with having a lot of variety in your life. I like variety. I enjoy variety. (laughs) And back to the plot. Back to the plot. Fuck. This is going to be a long episode. (laughs) 
Uh, so where are we at? 80 minutes in. Oh, God, we're 80 <laughs> minutes in. Should we split the episode here? We should split the episode. Where's a good place to split the episode? I think we're almost at a point where we can split the episode because microwaving with Marge is such a good son. I just want to call out this actor who plays Marge. What the hell is her name? She's so good. Like her can... performance is maybe three minutes long in total, but fuck, is she ever good? Yeah, yeah. It it's it's uh, one of the standouts in the film to me. Even I think is that weird because it's such the perfect evocation of what she's doing. There's so many character actors um, who just ace everything and just add that little bit of polish and class to everything. Marge, I, I don't think um, this is classy personally. I think she adds. The exact opposite of class, but it's it's her, her performance is over the top and intentional. And oh, I love it's, it! Yeah. It's brilliant. Like it's just another flavor. It's another touch. You've totally got, agree. you know. Also, three cameras on this single person behind a counter production. That seems like a lot of cameras. Uh, Kathleen Freeman's her name. Microwave Marge. That's it. She's very good. She's amazing. So. But yeah, three cameras on this production. I mean, production guy. I'm, I'm looking at the script supervisor. I'm looking at the auto cue. Great. I'm also looking at three cameras. Maximum two if you need one for the close-ups. Why are you doing three cameras on this? Am I uh, wrong? Could... It seems like a lot of cameras. <laughs> maybe they just have an experimental camera, you know? You've yeah, got maybe. the, you know, safe wide, safe wide details and then the the crazy guy who does what he wants and every so often something works and they'll they'll cut to it i guess that's right i <laughs> i guess i haven't worked in tv except for modern tv where it's mostly one camera for everything and then you do yeah because we can edit <laughs> yeah yeah because like, I, I keep forgetting it's tape like you had to use tape and when you made a cut you were literally like with a razor blade yeah physical media whole mm. different era these days you just chuck it into a computer and you can do what you like with it i mean Personally, oh God, it's I'm so nice boring. now. It's so it's so much better now. It's so much better now. Uh, back in the control room, where the security team are discussing how the three Mugwai rules interact. Yes, and this is a beautiful like dissection of it mm-hmm. because, like you say, he's he's walked in, he's saying all this crazy stuff, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Wait, those are really vague rules," and it's the film lampooning itself. I feel very seen right now by the security <laughs> team. Because I had these same questions in the first one. Like, wait, so if they eat at like 11 p.m., but something gets stuck in their teeth. Like a sesame seed. Like a sesame seed or a caraway seed or something. And then later they end up swallowing that. They didn't eat after midnight, but they did swallow food after midnight. Does that count? But then, of course, what if they travel across a time zone? Yeah, if they're on an airplane and they cross a time zone, how does that work? And here we get our jump scare. Now's where stuff goes down. I am mostly upset at this gremlin who attacks the man because he prevents us from getting answers to these crucial questions. <laughs> and therein is a nice break for your first episode. I think when the gremlins <laughs> actually start attacking and the security team is, they don't need any more convincing after, after literally being attacked by this monster... They're like, Once oh, you've seen it. shit, okay. So <laughs> turns out, actual demons. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? He was actually telling the truth. I do, I, I'm okay with the security team being skeptical, if I'm perfectly honest. Of course, really, I mean, really you am. would. Of course you would be. Anyone would be. This is, this is madness. One and of the it, first ones. Him trying to get them. Sorry, go ahead. 
It's him trying to get them to, to understand that there's a serious problem it needs to be dealt with, and he's being as earnest as possible. But, of course, they're just looking at him going like, yeah, right, okay. Uh-huh, demons. Just, gotcha. Justifiable, like. <laughs> gotcha. So when are the demons coming? Tuesday. Cool. <laughs> Great. And the men with white coats, they'll be coming in about five minutes. What year did the Mayan calendar say was going to... Eight years ago? Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So, I lost track of how many apocalypses I've survived at this point. God damn, so many. So many. So the... I, I said this on one of the first one for Paul's when we did Shaun of the Dead. I liked yeah. in that movie that when people said, Oh my god, it's a zombie apocalypse! They it was only once they had actually seen the zombies eat people. Mm. Because otherwise, why would you look at like one news item and go, well, that's the zombie apocalypse. Honey, get the shotgun. That seems like exactly. you'd have to be some crazy person to do that. And you should be treated as a crazy person. I'm just repeating the same thing again. My bad. So let's take a break there and let's uh, remind our audience that uh, you can find me at I'm, I don't know how to finish a part one. How do you finish a part one? Do you <laughs> this part is where you. This is where you just completely cut. Just here, <laughs> just, just dry cut. Done. <laughs> I will right here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this part one of this two-part special episode of One for Paul. You can find me at One for Paul on Twitter. Maybe tell me how wrong I am about opinions about the movie, or tell me what you thought about the movie, and. If you'd like to find me on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash one for Paul. That's patreon.com slash one for Paul. And if you want to find my guest. Hello. If, where do we find you? Where, where do we find you? If you want to learn more about the Stygian Chronicles of the horror anthology podcast, you can find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, iTunes and more at uh, the Stygian Chronicles. And you can find us on Twitter at Stygian Curator. Looking forward to seeing you on part two. That should be coming out just about a week after this episode. Bye, guys. Nice out. That was all right.